Good morning, everybody doing okay? Good, good. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. If you haven't called your mom, you need to do that when you get out of church. My mom's in St. Louis. She's probably watching me right now. So um, if you, yeah, thanks. Um, if you guys haven't been keeping up with the news, some pretty interesting news that came out this last week. They found a, a newer, more complete version of the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, where they got the Bible from. And um, in there, it says that Jesus never wore necklaces because he breaks every chain. Everybody good? Good? Some, some, some good Christian humor there for you, right? It's a good way to start. Uh, okay, anyway, so if it's your first time here, I, I swear I actually am a funny person. So um, we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you've never been here, uh, very, very interesting. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. We're getting towards the end of this book, and we chose this book. We, of course, we pray about it, and think about it and what kind of book speaks to things that we're going through in our, in our time right now. And, and the whole Bible is relevant uh, because people are people. <laughs> we haven't changed much. We think we have. We, we really haven't. And what's interesting is, is we've been going through this book, which is a letter written from a guy named Paul to a church in southern Greece. And, and I say this every weekend, but in case you're new, the, the whole point of this book of the Bible, this letter that was written from Paul, is there was a group of Christians uh, they think a group between 50 to 150 people. It was a small church. Christianity was a fairly new thing. It was only a couple of decades old. And what was going on is though this was a, a prosperous area, roughly about the size of Murfreesboro, by the way, a, a um, very diverse area. It was a very free area. They, they, they enjoyed a lot of freedoms. They had access to the word of God. They had access to good Christian leadership and they had given their lives to Jesus. So they had access to the spirit of God. And though they had access to all these things and, and every reason to, to grow in their relationship with God, the problem was, is they started following the teachings of their culture more than they started teach, uh, following the teachings of the word of God through Paul, right? And, and through the scripture. So all these problems started, and that's why we have this book of the Bible. And we're seeing the exact same thing happen to the church in the United States today. Uh, culture has infiltrated the church in the United States. We've started to follow the teachings and leanings of our society more than we have the teachings and leanings and principles of, of God, right? And this is why we have all these problems in the United States and the church, right, with our culture and even within our churches. So last week, we were in chapter 12, and we did all of chapter 12, and I love this part of 1 Corinthians because Paul spends three whole chapters talking specifically about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there were two things that were going wrong in the church in Corinth. The first one was, is when they would gather together, they would always take communion and it became very irreverent. They were not honoring God when they would take the Lord's Supper, the body and blood of Jesus, and they were not honoring each other, right? They were putting themselves above others. That was a problem. The second thing that Paul talks about, he actually spends three chapters on, 12, 13, and 14, that when the Christians would get together to worship like we're doing now, they would misuse and abuse the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now we defined what some of those were in chapter 12. And what we talked about is that we don't need to be afraid of the, the, the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Paul says we just have to be knowledgeable about it. We have to be biblically sound in how we work in the gifts of the Spirit and how we think and, and use the gifts of the Spirit. So the question last week was not that the gifts of the Holy Spirit don't exist, but are we vulnerable and open for God to use us however he sees fit? Even if it's uncomfortable, right? Are we open to God using us however he wants to use us? Now, in chapter 13, very, very famous chapter, right? Um, some of you probably bought maybe some, some, uh, something from Hobby Lobby with this like written on it, right? You've had this in your kitchen for a long time when guests come over and it mentions uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Most of you who've gotten married had some of this read at your wedding. It's a very, very famous chapter. Um, but it's extremely pivotal and it's important. And it's more than just kind of cool, catchy things that we, you know, put on a piece of distressed wood. It's uh, actually some pretty deep teachings on love. And the reason this is so important is we live in a society, you and I, that have completely perverted and twisted this word love. We have no idea what it means. And we say things like love is love and love has no boundaries, but if we do not know what, what love even means, 
these have become completely asinine statements, right? So we have to go back to the Word of God and understand what love is. And then once we understand what love is, we have to ask ourselves, do we display this? Do we live in this kind of love? Okay, all right? So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I'm going to say is in there. Everything will be on the screens. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, just download that. Click on Sermon Notes. you got everything right there. If you have a physical copy of the Bible, right after the book of Romans, you have the book of 1 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 13. Very, very short. It is very eloquently, beautifully written, and it is very deep, maybe deeper than you, you might have thought in the past. But we'll talk about that a little bit today, okay? All right, let's pray. We'll jump into it. You can call your mom, send her some flowers, do something nice, take her out to lunch, whatever the case may be. So, all right. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you so much for everything you've done for us, Lord. Thank you, God, for all of us being able to come in here today to, to laugh, to listen to your word, to worship God. I pray, Lord, that, that it blesses us. Keep your hand on our church today. Father, we don't just pray for our church. We pray for every church in Murfreesboro. We pray for our other campuses and the churches in those areas. God, we pray uh, for our great nonprofits. We pray for Becky and Topher, Lord, as they do work in Southeast Asia, God. And we pray that we can be a blessing and a support to them. And Father, we just pray that everything we do today, that it honors you, that it brings us closer to you. And Father, Lord, let us not only experience your love, but Lord, let us be vessels of your love to other people. We love you. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, all right. I hope you guys enjoy this. This is a really, really fun chapter. Here we go. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but I do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, have all knowledge, but if I do not, and, and I'm sorry, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if, a, if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. So in the church in Corinth, this was about 55, 56 AD, somewhere in that ballpark, this young, smaller church, right? Christianity was very, very new at this time. When they would get together, the, the big gift of the spirit that they were abusing the most was the gift of speaking in tongues. They would come in together, people would, would be speaking in, in angelic languages and they would be praying over each other and it became this very inwardly focused thing, very chaotic. So people who were new would come in and everyone's speaking in tongues and they're like, oh, this is weird, right? In fact, Paul even says in chapter 14, they're gonna think you're nuts, right? If this is all the church is about. And so here's the thing, though. Paul is not against the gift of speaking in tongues. Paul actually says in chapter 14, I do it more than all you guys, which is, you know, a little snappy. But anyways, he says, I do this. There's nothing wrong with the gift. But they had started to elevate this one gift of the Spirit above all the other gifts of the Spirit, which caused certain Christians to be arrogant. I'm gifted in this way and you're not. And they would look down on other ones. And it made church service chaotic. And what happened was, is when church became chaotic and church became inwardly focused, it was not showing love to the outside community because it was basically saying you're not welcome. Here's the problem. Whenever the church becomes inwardly focused, the Bible says it's just a bunch of noise. So the church cannot be wholeheartedly inwardly focused. Yes, we disciple people up inside, but we must also keep these doors open and create an environment for non-believers to come in and hear the truth. And if we're not, we just become noise to the community, right? We don't make sense to the community. That's what Paul is saying here. So again, Paul is saying if we misuse the gift of speaking in tongues, it's not very loving to those around us. And then he talks about other gifts. He talks about prophecy and he talks about faith. And these are gifts that Paul seems to hold in very high esteem. But he says this, he says, I can understand all the mysteries of God. I can have all the knowledge. I can even have faith that is so powerful that I can make mountains move. But if I do not have love, he says, it amounts to nothing. Love is the important thing there. So what that means to us is, listen, it, it, it's good to study the Bible. It's good to study theology. It's good to study doctrine. It's, that's all fine and good. It's good to minister to people. But when we study and when we minister to people, it should be to get closer to God and to get closer to others. 
not to inflate our, our ego or put us in a position to where we argue with people and make them feel small or not intelligent. Man, I'm telling you, Christians, too many Christians have wasted too much time arguing over non-essential theological things when they could have spent that time talking to non-believers about Jesus. This is why at this church we say we major on the majors and we minor on the minors, right? A major issue is something that you have to follow in order to get to heaven. A minor issue is something that you don't. And we may talk about minor issues, but it is a complete waste of your time to get on Facebook and argue theological things that are not relevant to you getting to heaven with other Christians. It's dumb. Don't do that, right? Instead, use that energy to talk to people who do not know Jesus, okay? So he also talks about the gift of giving and then also suffering for your faith. He says, I can give everything away. I can even suffer for good things, right? However, if the desire to do those things isn't based in love, but it's designed or, or, or our desire is so people will give me attention, he says, you really gain nothing. In fact, in another part of the Bible, it says that if we do good works and we just like put it online all the time just so people will think we're awesome, he, the Bible says you've already gotten your reward. The little thumbs up or the little heart or the little you know thing hugging the heart, that's all you get. There is no eternal reward for that because your motives were in the wrong place. Now, here's the balancing side of this. There's nothing wrong with celebrating good works. The Bible actually says that we're to do good works to glorify our God in heaven. So like when 550 people show up on a community cleaning day and we cut hundreds of yards and mulch, we take pictures of that and we put it on social media. And the reason is not so you guys can be puffed up or that we can puff ourselves up. It's to show a non-believing community that the church is involved that we care, and this honors God, right? It creates a good reputation of the church and the community. Nothing wrong with that. But every time you and I personally do a good work, we need to have a finger on the pulse of our motives. Am I doing this so you'll just think Corey's a really great guy, or am I doing it whether you even know about it or not because I wanna glorify God, because I wanna bless other people, right? We have to check our motives. Because the problem is this, that the, the United States is not one nation under God, or at least not in the way that we say it. The God of the United States is not Jesus Christ. The God of the United States is the individual. It is, it is ourselves. We have elevated ourselves to a God-like status. So we have to ask ourselves, if we're honest, do we, as people who worship the true God, do we sometimes use our giftings or use our knowledge or do benevolent things for selfish gain? And Paul's point is to try to move us away from that, right? That it's not about you. It's about blessing others. It's about honoring Jesus. But we live in a culture where we use, and, and listen, I'm not making fun of you if you use these, and some people use them and they're not trying to say what, they're, what it sounds like they're saying. But in our culture, it's all about self-care and self-awareness and self-this and self-that. And that kind of thinking is really antithetical to the Bible, it makes it all about us. And the Bible explicitly tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and then outdo each other with honor. Put other people's comforts and preferences above your own. Now, do you need to take care of yourself? Of course you need to take care of yourself, but that's not what life is all about. Life is about honoring God and blessing those around us, right? And so this is only possible if we have a relationship with Christ. Without a relationship with Jesus, we are incapable of true love. We are incapable of it. We're called to love him first, and we're called to follow what Jesus said was the second great commandment, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So here's the thing. It is possible to do spiritual things without having a relationship with Jesus. It is possible to do impressive things without loving people, but at the end, it comes to nothing. How do we know this? In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus even said, there will be people on the day of judgment who will come to me and they say, well, Jesus, we, we cast out demons in your name. We did miraculous things in your name. And Jesus will say, but we had no relationship. Depart from me. We can do impressive things in this life without being connected to Christ or loving others, but at the end of our life, it's not gonna mount anything. It's gonna boil down to nothing, okay? So listen, if we're talking today that love is the linchpin, love is the linchpin, 
And again, we say this all the time in our society. Love, the Beatles had it right. You know, all we need is love. The problem is, is no one in culture has defined what that means. So we have to go to the word of God and the word of God defines for us what love is. And that's the part that I'm about to read, okay? Love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, love is not boastful, it is not arrogant. Love is not rude or self-serving or self-seeking. Love is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is a good working definition of love, what we just read here. So like I said earlier, love in our society and our culture has been extremely misused, right? We throw this word around for everything. Man, I love this blush. You love that blush. Like you want what's best for that blush on your face. You love that, right? And again, we say things like love is love. Well, that's a completely ridiculous statement if you do not know the definition of that word. We say things like love has no boundaries. Well, obviously you don't have a teenage daughter, right? Because if some 30-year-old looks at your 13-year-old, you're gonna find out just how big those boundaries are, correct? That's a very asinine statement. Love has no boundaries. You're an idiot, right? Because you don't understand. There are some people, I'm being serious right now. There are some people who love to rape and murder women. Love has boundaries. You can love evil things. The Bible says that the problem is so many people fell in love with the darkness. Love can be misguided, brothers and sisters. That's not true love. So the Bible gives us a ton of examples of how love functions and what it means in our relation to God, in our relation to our, our spouse, in relation to how we raise our children. And what Paul just gives us here is really like a good like 30,000 foot view. This is how you should treat and love all people in your life, right? I used this definition a couple of weeks ago. I just love the word altruism. Altruism is basically the selfless desire to want what's best for other people. And the only way, I said this in the last couple of slides, we must have a relationship with God because the only way we can truly love people is we want people to go to heaven. So if we say we love someone, but we have never shared our faith with them, I would make an argument that you don't love them to the fullest. You're not loving them as much as you should, right? We should want what's best for people. So Paul starts to spell out for us, what is love? First thing he says is love is patient. This means just like God is patient with us and judging us and repaying our offenses, we are to be slow to do those things as well. That doesn't mean that we don't, we don't hold uh, uh, offenses into account. That doesn't mean that we ignore offense. In fact, Jesus says in the book of Matthew that if you're offended, I'm gonna tell you how to deal with it. Like an adult, go like a big boy or big girl if someone offends you and go to them face to face and say, you have offended me. Can we talk about this, right? Jesus says, if that doesn't work, get another believer. If that doesn't work, get a third believer. If that doesn't work, then get the church involved. So it's not that we ignore offense, right? But we deal with it in a very patient, adult-like way. Love is also kind, so this means that we are gentle with people. Again, it does not mean that there is no discipline. We learn from Revelation chapter three, Jesus says, I discipline those that I love, right? So discipline is a good thing. But when we discipline, not just our kids or someone we're you know, in charge of, but even if we have to call out someone that's a peer, we do it with kindness. We do it with gentleness. Love does not envy this is probably the greatest, I, I shouldn't say the greatest, but it's one of the greatest sins in the United States right now is envy. We live in such a envious, jealous culture, right? We live in this culture that if my neighbor drives a really, really nice car, they should have to get rid of that and give it to me. It doesn't matter that they have two PhDs, work 60 hours a week, and they're 25 years older than me. They should not have nice things that I don't have. This is the culture we live in. Now listen, that's a sin. Not only is it a sin, it's one of the 10 commandments. 
It's one of the bedrock fundamental teachings of God to not be envious over things that aren't yours. That doesn't mean that we cannot admire other people or admire other people's things. There's nothing sinful about that. Let me give you an example. My wife and I, when we first got married, we were dirt poor. When we had our first child, we were dirt poor. And so when we could get a break every once in a while and go like do something, we would go get a couple of cups of coffee. We'd go out at eight or nine o'clock at night. Our daughter would be sleeping in the back seat in the, in, the, in the car seat thing. And we would drive around neighborhoods, right? And we would just say, man, I would love to live in this neighborhood one day. It'd be so nice to, to get our forever home in this neighborhood. And look at that cul-de-sac and how beautiful it would be to live in. The, there's nothing wrong with admiring things like that. But when we start getting resentful because people live in that house and I don't, when we start getting resentful because people have certain things that I don't, we've crossed the line into sin and love does not envy, okay? Love also isn't boastful or arrogant. The, the word boasting in verse four there literally means to brag without foundation. Welcome to social media, brothers and sisters. We have this thing in American culture right now to where we create this very embellished, inflated view, like this product of ourself. And we crop and we edit and we filter and we put this thing out there and then we write this, we, we write our, our own bio, right? World-changing, you know, visionary, extraordinaire. And I'm like, man, you've never been past like Mississippi. And like, so these things are very inflated and very puffed up. And this is what we have done in our culture, right? That we brag without foundation. But the other side of that is even if we brag and we have foundation, the real Christian understands that anything good you've ever done is because God has allowed you to do it. But I worked hard, God made your legs. But I'm smart, God made your brain too. Anything you say, I can send it right back to God. It's all him, right? So the thing is, <laughs> If we truly love others, we will not act boastfully and we will not act arrogantly, right? Whether we have a foundation or don't have a foundation, don't be prideful, don't be arrogant, right? Just be a humble person. And listen, humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is having an accurate view of yourself. It is having a realistic view of who we are and not thinking that we're more important than everyone else. Love is not rude. I love this one too. Rude there can, can be translated to a disregard for social customs that the people around you have adopted. This can work in a lot of different ways. My wife and I have some, some really good friends. They're about 20 years older than us that, that are Korean. And they live in Washington, D.C. And whenever they come into town, we'll go eat lunch. We had lunch with them Thursday. A uh, Korean couple, and they've got four kids. And um, very, very Korean, right? They hold on to a lot of their traditions. They're, they have thick accents. Very, very Korean. And there are certain things that Koreans do that Americans don't. You don't shake hands. You, you bow. You take off your shoes when you go into their house, whether you like your feet or not. I like my feet. But anyways, you, you, you just follow certain customs. And it is rude. It is disrespectful to not follow those customs. And even if you don't know those customs, you, you, you try to learn them out of respect for their culture, right? That's one way of looking at it. Another way is if you go to a really, really nice restaurant and people go into this environment and the custom in this environment is, is low light, low noise because people are paying $200 for a dinner with their, their wife for their anniversary or whatever the case may be, really nice restaurant, right? So they're in this environment and it is rude when, when we're loud, right? and we're disruptive or, or, or when we act really foolish in this environment because we're not following the custom that is, that, is, that is around us. It's rude. And if you truly love people, you will not act rude like this. Love is not self-seeking or self-serving. Again, this doesn't mean that you're not supposed to take care of yourself. That's why we have a Sabbath day. That's why God commands us to rest. We are to take care of ourselves. But this culture that we have in the United States, people are like, oh, I worked 25 hours this week. I need some self-care. I'm like, my God, I hope you don't ever get into the real world. Anyways, <laughs> there's this culture to where it's this like this constant, like I'm the center of the universe and I just need everyone to take care of me and, and I need to be away from everything all the time. And we've become quite weak, honestly. That's not the way that we're designed to be. Yes, take care of yourself, but life is not just about us. It's about blessing other people, honoring God, putting others first. Love is not irritable. You guys are already thinking, well, Corey, you fail in this department. Anyways, 
Love is not irritable. What that means is this, going to James 1.19, which was the literal brother of Jesus, he said that we are to be slow to speak and not easily angered. Hold that up against American society. Slow to speak and not easily angered. If we love people, we are slow to speak and we're not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, this is one that has to be used with wisdom and this can be twisted. If we love people, we do not keep a meticulous record of their past offenses. What Paul means by this is, if people are genuinely sorry, we have to give them a road back to recovery. We have to give them a path to be fixed, forgiven, back into a relationship. So we're to forgive, but listen, it is also wise to remember things that have happened in the past. If your husband hits you and you let that go on and on and on, that's not being loving, that's being foolish. And it's time to get out of that relationship, right? If your wife commits adultery and she's like, I'm so sorry, you start the road to recovery, she does it again, she does it again, she does it again, there has to be a time to where, okay, we, we have to get out of this, this pattern, okay? So it's not being a whipping boy or a whipping girl, right? It is using wisdom and giving people the opportunity to have a road back. Now, here is the big divide. Everything we've said so far, every atheist, agnostic, other religion would say, I agree. This is where the great divide is. Paul says, true love finds no joy in unrighteousness or evil. Now, here's where the world gets it wrong. So not only do people who truly love find no joy in evil, we rejoice in truth. Now, this goes back to definitions. Not only do we have to define love, we have to define what righteousness is and we have to define what the truth is. And this comes from the word of God, right? So the Bible lays out the standard of what is good and evil, right? What is right and wrong. And this word, the word of God is the truth because it comes directly from God, right? And the word became flesh, who is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ said when he was asked, what is truth? Jesus's response was, anything you hear me speak is truth. Well, isn't that profound? So the word of God is the truth. And so the only way to be loved and the only way to share love is through a biblical lens. It's the only way. So again, if someone says, man, I got an atheist friend that he, he really loves his wife and kids. He may to an extent, but until we teach them the truth, until we teach them how to get to an eternity with Christ, we are not fully loving them. We are not truly loving them the way that we should, right? That's according to the word of God, okay? So it says that love bears, believes, hopes, endures. The word bear there doesn't mean like absorb. It means to protect. This is very important. That means if we truly love someone, we're not seeking to embarrass them. We're not seeking to expose them. We're seeking to help them. So if you're, you're a, a man in here and you find out that one of your good guy friends is, I mean, addicted to porn, it's ruining his marriage, you know, it's, it's, it's messing up his family life, your goal is not to embarrass or expose or for them to lose their job or their family. To, your, 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 your goal is to get with them and say, hey, listen, we're gonna get a grip on this, right? We're gonna have accountability. We're gonna pray with each other. I want your family to be intact. I want your integrity to be intact. I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna protect you, okay? That's what love does. Love also gives the benefit of the doubt. This means if you have a friend in your life and, and let's say someone says, hey, Kyle's a really good friend of mine. Hey, did you, did you hear what Kyle did? Instantly, my brain doesn't go to the bad things. My brain gives Kyle the benefit of the doubt because I love him and I trust him. So I go to him first and I say, hey, someone said this, but I just wanna hear it from you. I wanna give you the benefit of the doubt. That's what love does, okay? Love is also optimistic, and it endures because it's optimistic and true love seeks the best for other people. We, that goes back to altruism, right? That we want what's best for other people. This is important because the only thing that lasts forever is love. Now let's get to this last part. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for speaking in tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, boy, this is a good one. 
I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul tells the church this. This is really interesting. He says, when you fall in love with God and when you fall in love with other people, you're actually partaking in something that is eternal. Why? Because God is love. God is the source of all love, real love. And what Paul is saying is, right now we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about the last two weekends. All these different things, prophecy, tongues, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, all these different things. And he says, these are good, but they're only glimpses of God. They're only glimpses of God, it's, it's not the fullness. And when God comes back, we're not gonna need those things. Those things are temporary things. So the knowledge we get from reading the Bible, right? the knowledge we get from this, the experience we get by having a relationship with God only gives us a partial understanding of God. What do we mean by that? When, when we're in church, we talk about things like the Holy Trinity. And I don't care how smart you are and how many times you've read the Bible, no human understands the Holy Trinity of God, right? Well, Corey, it's like an egg. It's not like an egg. It's much more complicated than an egg. It's like ice. Nope, fail, strike two, right? It is this incomprehensible thing about God, that God is one God in three persons, right? And it doesn't make sense. We're not gonna understand until the other side of heaven. And that's okay. That's what makes him God and it makes us finite individuals, right? The other thing is this. When we talk about things like when Jesus was on earth, he was 100% human and 100% the creator God simultaneously. How? I don't know, right? And I'm not going to know. I only have a partial understanding. But when Jesus comes back, we will understand. And that's what he says. When the perfect comes, the partial comes to an end. We're no longer partially educated. We're going to be fully educated. We will have a complete understanding and a complete experience with God. And so Paul uses two analogies that, that try to help us understand this, this maturation process or, or, or how the partial is going to come to an end and one day we will come into full knowledge. The first one that he uses, I absolutely love. He says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I was immature, I was ignorant, I did stupid things. But, but maybe the thing that, that a lot of people need to hear nowadays is when I became an adult, when I grew up, I put away childish things. A lot of, we live right now in a state in our culture of almost arrested development, do we not? You got 38-year-old moms who are trying to compete with their 18-year-old daughters on who's the hottest. You have guys that don't set aside any money for their kids to go to college because they have to drive that sports car. You got guys that work out six hours a day and never take their wife out which begs the question, who are you trying to impress? Anyways, <laughs> you have a bunch of adults that are acting like kids. And the Bible says, when you grow up, get this, it's time to act like an adult. It's the same thing with our spirituality though. If I got saved at 22 years old, but I have not grown in the last 20 years, I'm in a state of arrested development when it comes to my spirit. And that's not okay either that if we've been a Christian for any length of time, we should be growing in our action and our thought and our giftings, right? That we should be making disciples, that we should be doing the things that God tells us to do. That when I was a child, yeah, I acted dumb, but I'm not a kid anymore. So it's, it's time to stop acting dumb. It's time to start doing things that are adult-like. The other thing that he talks about is he says the gifts of the Holy Spirit are like a reflection in a mirror. So imagine if you held up a mirror and there was someone behind you and you saw them, right? It's, it's a reflection. You see it, you understand it a little bit, but it's nothing like turning around and seeing them face to face. Man, this is beautiful. What Paul says is we feel God, we experience God through the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, but one day you're going to look at God. Paul says one day you're gonna see him, no more of just a reflection, not just a feeling, right? You're gonna hear him, you're gonna see him, you're gonna see God. We look forward to the day when we see God face to face and look what he says here. He says, I will know him as he fully knows me. 
Right now, every single one of you in this room, God knows everything about you, every hair on your head, every thought that's ever gone gone through your mind. The Bible says that even before you were knit together in your mother's womb that God knew you, which is a really relevant scripture for things that are happening right now in our society. But anyways, all these things, and God knows us fully. And Paul says, one day, how God knows me, I'm gonna know him. I'm gonna know him to the fullness of who he is. That is amazing. And then he says, these three things remain, but the greatest of all is love. He says, there's faith and there's hope. And those are important. But Paul's argument is when we get to heaven, you don't need faith and hope anymore. Faith is the belief in something that you don't see. You don't need faith anymore because you're gonna see God. Hope is, is, the, is the, the desire, the, the, the encouragement that one day we will be out of this life and in, in, in heaven with God. You don't need to have that anymore. You don't have to have hope anymore because you're gonna be in heaven. The only thing that will remain is love. The only thing that will remain is love. And it is impossible to have faith in this life. And it is impossible to have hope in this life without having love and pure love only comes from God. That's what Paul is teaching us today. We have to go back a little bit. Let me ask you something. And this is easy, especially as you get older. Sometimes I think it's just easy to get trapped into to, to the mechanics of life. We often talk about what we're doing, right? What I do for a living, you know, like, like I'm married, that's what I do. I, I go to work, that's what I do. I, I hang out with my kids, I, you know, every once in a while, it's what I do. We talk about what we do. When is the last time you really sat and meditated on why do you do that? Think about being in this room this morning. What you're doing right now is sitting in a church service, listening to the, the Bible being taught. The greater question to what you're doing is why? Why did you come here this morning? Why do you serve at the church? Why do you raise your kids that way? Why are you married to this man or this woman? What? Why are you functioning the way that you're functioning? Why? What is the motive behind that? And the reason why that's so important is because God already knows our motives. He already sees our heart. And even if we impress everyone, even if we check off all the boxes, if our true desire is not to fall into a deeper love with God and a deeper love with people, the Bible says ultimately it comes to nothing. It amounts to nothing. At the end of this life, we don't have anything. It's deeper than what we're doing. Listen, and I'm not perfect at this, but I just wanna, this is something that I'm working on with my kids. I don't just tell my kids what to do. I'm going out of my way to explain why. This is why we don't do this. This is why you don't, you don't make this decision. Explain that to them. Teach them to go deeper than just checking off boxes, Right? This is why we don't do this, right? Go deeper with it. When's the last time you thought about that? This is why I do this. And again, the reason why we do things should be because we love God and because we love people. But if we have no definition of what love is, it goes crazy, does it not? So listen, if you go back into chapter 13, if you go back into chapter 13, this should be your homework, right? And it's very, very difficult. Take out the word love and insert your first name. Love is patient, love is kind. Corey is patient, Corey is kind. Not always. It gets difficult, doesn't it? But when we start putting ourselves in there, are we envious at times? Are we arrogant at times, rude or self-serving? Yeah, we fall to these things. Do we hold people's mistakes against them? Do we love righteousness and truth? Listen, not only do we love righteousness and truth, we should hate unrighteous things. We should despise evil. And I'm, I'm quite bothered by how many people claim to love Jesus and claim to follow him, but really dance around some pretty evil stuff. And not only should we be away from evil stuff, we should despise it. It should make us nauseous. We should, we should loathe evil things. And there are so many people who claim to follow Christ that are quite comfortable with evil things, quite comfortable with it. And so here's the thing. And, and I didn't even bring up the last one. Does our love endure? If we're being honest in this room right now, it's not super easy to love people, is it? Oh, Corey, come on. 
It's not easy, is it? Man, we can act pretty vile, can we not? And we both do it. Listen to me. We both do this. Both sides of the aisle do this. You have one group of people, right? That says, man, they talk about love a lot and we'll love you however you identify and we'll love you regardless of who you're you know, attracted to. We'll love you regardless of, of this and this and this and this. We will love you, love you, love you. Unless you voted for Donald Trump and then we really, really hate you. Oh, but the other side does it as well. We love you, love you, love you, love you, love you until you're trans. Then we're going to make fun of you and kick you down. We love you, love, man, whatever. I can go on and on about that stuff. Both sides do it. And here's what, here's, here's what God has called us to do. God has called us to a much higher standard than a conditional love. Jesus says, pray for those that persecute you. Love those that hate you. Jesus said, if they go to steal your shirt, give them your shoes as well. Sounds crazy. It's Jesus. Jesus calls us to a higher standard of love. To where, listen, the Bible says even the pagans, non-believers, they can love people to a conditional point. But the true Christian goes past that conditional point and they love people regardless. Even those that hate them. That's what the true, let, let, let me tell you, the reason why I said all that is this. The only way for that to be possible is it has to be a gift from God. You cannot do that without God. The world can't do it. We've proven it over and over and over again. Conservative, you know, liberal, atheist, whatever, whatever corner you wanna to go to, without God being in our hearts, we are incapable of loving people the way we should. So we have to not only seek out a relationship with God, we need to ask him, God, put that kind of supernatural love in my heart. I cannot love people unless you are working and flowing through me. I cannot do it. So we have to define what love is and we have to pursue love. Here's the reason why. Life is temporary. Unfortunately, there are so many people in the United States right now. I'm sure they're doing it in other places too, but our culture is so freaking toxic right now. This life is temporary, but unfortunately, a lot of people are living like it's not. They're living like they're never going to die. And I'm not trying to be you know, a downer this morning, but listen, every single one of you that can hear me speak right now, there are two things that are certain. One, you're gonna die. And in fact, the Bible says you're not promised tomorrow, so you're not even promised longevity. All of us are gonna die. The second inevitability is that we're all gonna be held accountable for how we lived. Not only will we all die, we're all gonna stand in front of the great throne of judgment. And Jesus is gonna look at us and say, give me an account of what you did with the life I gave you. And you're not gonna be able to blame the president. You're not gonna be able to blame your pastor. You're not gonna be able to blame your parents. You're not gonna be able to blame anybody else. He's gonna be looking straight into your eyes. And we're gonna to have to be held accountable and responsible. So this begs the question, what are we living for? Is it for the love of God and for the love of other people? Is it for the betterment of the kingdom or is it just selfish desire? But Jesus, I was really famous on TikTok. Now we laugh at that, but man, I can't tell you how many middle-aged moms I see doing everything except prostitute themselves to be famous on social media. All the time. This is your life? Do you know what my greatest fear has always been? That I would leave this life without making some kind of an impact on somebody. You can call that unhealthy. You can call it whatever you want. I always wanted my existence to mean something, right? And there are a lot of famous, wealthy people who haven't really done jack crap. They haven't done anything. And for some reason, we aspire to be these things. And we're not really living for anything. One day we will die and one day we will be held into account. And even if we just remotely understand what I just said, we must pursue, we must pursue our creator because he is the only source of real love. He's the only way that we can be saved. He's the only way that our trajectory can change. 
He's the only way that we can be a vessel for love for our spouse or our children or our neighbors or our family or the people at the grocery store, whatever the case may be. It is only through this relationship with God. It's the only thing that's eternal. So here's the thing, you and I need this. If you're in this room or listening to me online right now, if you have eyes to see it, if you have a desire to see it, Jesus says that like a dozen times in the first three chapters of Revelation, for those that have ears to hear, right? For those that have eyes to see, look, listen. And right now, if you have a desire to see the truth, all you have to do is step back and look at our culture right now. A culture that throws around the word love at every corner. And in the middle of us throwing out this bastardized version of love all over the place in American culture, any study that you study right now from any major university will tell you every demographic has higher suicide rates than have ever been recorded. Every demographic is more depressed, more anxious, more violent, more hopeless than we have ever been since we have recorded such statistics. The reason why is we don't understand what love is. We can keep perpetuating this word, but until we have a working definition of what it is, it is not serving you. It is failing you. What I'm saying is we need something different. And for those of us who have not bought into the great delusion, Romans chapter one, it's not hard to see. It's not hard to see that we are imploding upon ourselves, eating ourselves alive. Who needs this? You need this. I need this. It is only in a relationship with Christ that we understand real love. The reason why so many people feel anxious, hopeless, depressed, lost, worthless, is because they're not going to the source of where their worth is derived. They're not going to the source where joy and contentment come from. It is only into going into that source that we experience what it means to feel secure. I'm not trying to make fun of you or be mean. The reason why social media is one of the biggest platforms in the world is because we are an insecure people. And this feeds that insecurity, but it's never enough. It is never enough. Because the only way to feel secure is to be loved by God, to live in that love. The only way to feel valued. A story last week about a beautiful 16-year-old cheerleader who was on television, right? Took her life. because Man, and you can call me judgmental all you want, but instead of her parents pushing her towards Jesus Christ, they pushed her towards fame. They pushed her towards beauty. They pushed her towards these things that will never fulfill. And then we scratch our heads and go, why did a 16-year-old who's so beautiful take their life? And my response is, I can't believe there's not more people doing this because we have led them down such a self-destructive, empty path. That's why during COVID, 44% of all teenage girls considered suicide. 44%. But we're all about love. You don't know what that means. You have no idea what that means. The only way that we will feel secure, valued, empowered, the only way that we can live honorable lives, the only way we can live truly understanding who we are is if we're living in God. Do you know, listen, do you know, if, if, and this is, it sounds cheesy, I say it all the time, but it's good. You are the only thing in the universe made in the image of God. You're the only thing. Read your Bible. You are the only thing in the universe that looks like God. And what that says to us is he values us higher than anything. But this isn't just about you. There is someone next to you. There's someone in the office. There is someone in your family. There is someone on your block that is this close to throwing in the towel. So we don't just live in the love of God so we can feel security and value and empowerment. And we don't just do it for us. We do this so, listen, so we can then touch the hearts of man. So that we, by the Holy Spirit working through us, by God working through us, I said this last week or the week before, you and I are the visible image of the invisible God until Jesus comes back. 
Jesus has commissioned you and I to touch the hearts of the brothers and sisters around us because they need this as well. There is such a sick, broken, depraved world around us. Everyone needs what we have talked about today. And it is our job, right, to go out and to demonstrate this love. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is so important. How do I demonstrate it? The Bible says, this is how you demonstrate it. Be patient, be kind, don't envy, don't boast, don't be self-serving, right? Don't keep records of wrongs. Don't, don't, don't fall in love with unrighteous things, but love the truth. And if you go out and do these things, you'll touch the hearts of the people around you. And we can turn them towards God and people's, people's trajectory can be completely changed. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and, and maybe you are not a believer at all, or maybe you're new to the faith and you just have some questions. Up here on my right, your left, is Pastor Carl. He does our small groups here at the church. If you have any questions for Carl, if you'd like to ask him anything or talk to him, or if it's a long conversation, you can set up a time to get a cup of coffee with him or something. Please, make yourself at home. Please come up and talk to Carl, okay? We have men and women on both sides of the stage that would like to pray with you. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let me be just very vulnerable with you for a second. I bet I'm not the only one in this room that has insecurity and anxiety and depression nipping at their heels all the time. Now, let me tell you, I think by the power of the Holy Spirit and by good community, I think you can keep those things at bay. I don't think they have to get you. But we have to, we have to ask for God's help and you have to have community. If you're in this room and those things nip at your heels too, do yourself the biggest favor. Come up here and let someone pray with you about those things. Walk with somebody. Depend on God. You don't have to live in anxiety and fear and depression, but you do have to tap into God and tap into the community around you if you're going to keep those things at bay. Come up here and let someone pray with you. But you can pray for anything. If you need prayer for anything. The last thing is there's communion all the way around you, bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you ask God to forgive you of your sins. Now I'm gonna tell you a real quick last thing. If you are in here and you do not feel valued, if you do not feel loved, if you do not feel affirmed, if you do not feel secure, the creator of the universe loved you so much that he came to earth, he lived, he died, he rose again for no other reason but to save you, to help you, and to be with you for eternity. You are valued, you are loved, you are seen, you are heard, and you can have a relationship with God if you want it. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. God, I thank you so much for everyone in this room, Lord. God, I pray blessings over them. Their, their, their marriages, their families, their friends. I pray everywhere they go that you walk with them, God. Lord, let us not only to live in your love, let us display your love to those around us, God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I hope you guys have a good Mother's Day.